0: When you get there, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Four verses, 3 John, chapter 1, only one chapter in it. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. We will stand and read it together. Okay, you ready? Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Let's pray. Father... It's a great opportunity to actually help somebody do something great. Rarely do you use just one individual to do something remarkable or something noteworthy by many people. We all do our faithful things. Lord, when something great needs to be done, you usually use a church, a group. You use people together as a team. And to be a fellow helper with the truth is our challenge this morning that we wouldn't just expect someone else to do the preaching of the gospel, someone else to go, but that we would be a part in every way of getting the gospel into every country, every culture, every nation, every tribe. Not to think that we're not big enough, and not to think that we don't have any money, but to believe that we're supposed to be involved in any way possible. So Lord Jesus, I ask that as you were sent of your Father, and as you sent us, may we go, may we give, may we be a part of something so good that it, it changed our lives. And I pray that, Lord, it would change our world in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right. <clears throat> so this entire year, we are learning about something called, that Jesus called the kingdom of God. It is a completely different way to live, think, love, and it's a different way to give. Now, um, when Jesus came and he preached that the kingdom of God was at hand, he wasn't saying, oh, this is what the people over here are doing. No, he said, this is something that You've never seen, you've never experienced the kingdom of God was prophesied as coming and Jesus said, now it's here. And it was different than what anybody else was doing. It is something that is not easy to do either. Living in the kingdom of God is not something you just sort of just slide into. It is a, an entirely different way of living. But it is the only way to live as a Christian. Because you are in this new relationship with God through Jesus and that that way that you live is called kingdom living. You no longer live in the world and in sin, you live in Christ. And so as Jesus said that, he 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 brought people normal just Joe soaps, and he says, "Guys, follow me." And he led them into a way of living. As you read Matthew 5 6 7, you see that the way that they were to now look at life and look at problems and look at at um uh, obstacles and look at, at the way they're to treat not only one another but treat their enemies was well, so different. He says, just follow me and I'll show you how it's done. But there's one thing and that is that the gospel was not supposed to stay just in Israel. So I want to talk about there's there's more to kingdom than just kingdom living. There is kingdom going there is kingdom giving, and then there's kingdom owning. Now, I'll explain all three of those in just a few moments. But when I've gone through those three very simple points, I'm going to ask everyone to do something absolutely wonderful. Now, I'm going to read, starting in verse 1, give you a little background here. And in in, uh, verse 1, it says, The elder, speaking of John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, look at how he talks to a brother. He says, Beloved, I, uh, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. If you only knew how blessed your soul is, you may not have two pennies to rub together in your pocket, but if your soul is saved, you're well off. And John says, I wish you were doing as well physically as you were spiritually. Verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren... When other Christians came and they testified of the truth that is in thee, somebody told me that they, they saw Jesus in you. They saw the Christian life in you. Even as thou walkest in the truth, not in fake media, not in the modern philosophies, but you walk and live in the truth. Verse 5, beloved, thou doest faithfully. I see something in you that you're just consistent. Whatsoever thou doest to the brethren. And to who? people you don't know so it's nice when you when you're being kind and a blessing to somebody that you are well used to and you trust and you love to meet somebody and you don't know them and they're strangers to you and yet they're saved Gaius was somebody that was faithful to everyone he dealt with verse 6 these guys they've come back to John and they've borne witness of Gaius's charity before the church it was very it was very evident that there was Not just, they weren't just going to church, he wasn't just going through the motions, but there was a a heart being lived by Gaius, a heart of charity, a heart of givingness, whom, he says to Gaius, if thou bring brethren and strangers forward on their, circle that word, journey, because we're going to talk about that journey in a moment, after a godly sort, you take care of them in a godly way, thou shalt do well, because... These brethren <clears throat> and these people you don't even know, these strangers, for his namesake, I wonder whose name? Only Jesus. For his namesake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles to whom they were preaching. We therefore, we Christians therefore ought to receive such. Receive means welcome them. Welcome into church, welcome into our homes and take care of them, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. We get to work with them in getting the truth out. So here, the Apostle John is writing a real short letter to this guy named Gaius, who's a Christian. Evidently, Gaius was a, uh, uh, was a convert of John. John had led him to Christ. John hears that Gaius and his church is very involved in helping men take the gospel to far away heathen lands. He praises Gaius' faithfulness and all those Christians with Gaius, he, uh, he observes that they have a life of charity. You know what charity is? It's where you love without anything in return. Charity suffers long and is kind anyway. So the Bible says, the Bible says you love and you don't get anything back. And that's the highest form of love. And it's the hardest type of love to consistently show because at some point you say, I'm tired. At some point they don't appreciate me. John notes and he says, you've got charity. And then he noticed that they took care of missionaries. And he says, you, the fact that you receive them and you feed them as they pass through, it was marvelous. So in this letter, we discover how we need to be given the gospel, giving to gospel mission work. So verse 5, you'll see the journey. Verse 5 and 6, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and the strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey. To bring forward is, you're, you're, you're helping them go a little further. You're not, you're not financing everything, but you're carrying them another day. So these guys were on a journey, not just to next door. Now every one of us should have a gospel witness next door. Now, they're the hardest persons, people to witness to because they, they hear you. They watch you. They see you. And so when you come at them, they're closing the door, locking the door, pulling the shades. I know how it is, all right? My neighbors are the same. Like, I have a big white Bible Baptist church bus out in front of my house, man. My neighbors freak out every time I try to talk to them about the gospel. But you should go to your neighbor. But these guys aren't going next door. These people have left their home to go some to some faraway place with the gospel. You can leave Third John for, uh, for a little bit. Go to Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, verse 3. We've got a lot of scriptures to look at this morning to motivate us to be fellow helpers together with getting the gospel out. Acts chapter 8, verse 3 says... As for Saul, at this point, Saul is not converted. Saul is not a Christian. Saul is only the enemy and he's slaughtering and killing and tormenting and torturing. And it says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the... Sounds like Nigeria. Sounds like Sri Lanka. Hasn't gotten any better, has it? He made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad gave up. Is that what it says? No, they went everywhere preaching the word. That was going on. People went on journeys, probably not all because they wanted to, but because God seemed to be in charge. Listen to Isaiah 45, 22. Listen to these words. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Listen to those words. All the ends. Of For I am God and there is none else. So God cries out and He says, hey, look over here. There's no other God. Look unto me and you'll be saved. So there is a call for everyone in the furthest reaches to hear the gospel. So if God has to allow persecution in our lives to get us moving, so be it. Because there are people who have never heard. I'll talk about that in a moment. Go to Mark. Go back a few books there to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Mark 16, 15. This is Jesus speaking. And he said unto them, Go only as far as you want. Go only until you get tired. Is that what it says? That's what we we want it to say. Go ye. He wouldn't say, make sure someone else goes. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's very revealing what the Bible doesn't say. Here he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I took that literally when I got saved. I preached to squirrels, rabbits. I was terrified of going in front of a human being. So, oh man, I went out to the... The field and trees and stuff and I just pretended I was in church and I said, I can't do this. Anyway, I preached to every creature in there. John 17, 18 says as, as thou, Jesus is praying, he says, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them, his disciples into the world. So when, when these disciples were scattering everywhere preaching the word, they were just following Christ's command. But go back now. Go back to 3 John and Oh, I want to show you this picture. Now, this is, this is by the end of the second century. This is about 160 from, from little old Israel here where the gospel began. The gospel had spread out and was going in every direction. It had reached to Ireland and to uh, England and was on its way to spreading into all the world. Lots of conflicts, lots of, of uh, uh, people trying to stop the spread of the gospel but it went everywhere on their journey. Isn't that amazing? The gospel went without weapons. The gospel reached into the world without internet, without money. It just went. Boy, we need that again. But it says something there. It says they've hazarded their lives. Uh, Beloved, I'll do as faithfully... uh, Whatsoever thou doest to the brethren to strangers, strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Well, no, I'll tell you, I thought the hazard their lives was not here yet. I'll show you where the hazard is. Um, Acts 15. I thought it was there, sorry. Acts 15, verse 25. There's my words. So, people who take the gospel, like missionaries, to other places, they're not going on a holiday but they were risking their lives going into new cultures, confronting men with the gospel. It's nice to teach children the gospel, but these men were confronting men with their sin and telling them they need to be born again. They must be saved or else they will face the judgment of God. And they were risking their lives by doing such a thing. Acts 15.25. 15.25, it seemed good unto us. Being assembled in one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Now Paul's a Christian now. Men that have look at this, hazarded, risked their lives for the name. There's that name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back. Go to uh, Acts four eighteen. Acts four eighteen. <clears throat> Acts 4.18, right in there, now they got introduced to the kind of hazards they were going to face when Peter, James, and John were brought before the council that had ordered the crucifixion of Jesus. And here's Acts 4.18, it says this, They called, Peter, and James, and John, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. So they faced the fact that they were making laws, they were making it hard, they were being told, it'd be like you at work, being told, don't hand any more tracks out. Don't invite anybody anybody to church. Don't talk about Jesus here at at the office. That was what they were facing. But verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, 'Uh Uh-uh, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They're talking about the match they went to. They're talking about their holiday. Over here, he's talking about his investment plan. Over here, he's talking about his new girlfriend. We're going to talk about Jesus. Amen. And I'm not telling you, and the Bible never tells you that you ought to take time, that you should be working and talk. No. But you know, a lot of jobs, when you've got a break, you you ought to be able to talk about anything. Amen. Make sure that you also bring in the Lord Jesus but realize also it could get you fired. Amen. Hazarding your lives. Acts 5.41. Acts 5.41. Now they get in trouble, because guess what? They went ahead and preached. Verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council, weeping, because they had just been beaten in the previous verse. No, they counted... I'm sorry, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Amazing. They hazarded their lives for Christ's name's sake. Now, this gets serious. There in 3 John, it says, because that for his name's sake, they went forth. Just because of a name. What the big deal about his name? Well, people mock that name, don't they? You know, if Jesus was just, I mean, if I said Confucius at work, nobody would give me another thought. If I said, Oh, I was reading a book on Buddha, they'd all go, Oh, yeah, all right. But if I say, You know, I was reading my Bible this week, (laughs) there's a power in that book, and there's a power in that name that the demons can't handle. And uh, you, you think that only people in the darkest parts of the world are demon-possessed. Your office mates are full of darkness and of struggles with demons. And when you mention the name Jesus, they don't even know why they're so angry. They don't even know why. They just go, shut up. Why would you even mention that name? Because that name, it is there—is there is that name is the only name that you can use to get into heaven. You can't use your name. You can't use your priest's name. You can't use your grandmother's name. You must use Jesus' name. And you got to believe it with all your heart that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to what? Bow. So for Christ's name's sake, there are countless millions and hundreds of millions of people who have never heard Jesus' name even once. Now, we don't believe that. We're in the West. We're in Ireland. Everybody knows about Jesus. I guarantee you it's not true. A lot of people know about this little guy, his name's Gautama Buddha. You go up to a door and you see a little fat guy, you know he was for fasting and all the Buddhas are fat, I don't understand that. Ponder that for a week, why is he so fat? Anyway, um, but little Buddha, they know about Buddha, they know about this guy, Confucius. Alright, Confucius had a lot of worldly wisdom. There's about a zillion other names of deities and demons and powers. I had a friend uh, that I worked with at the telephone company years ago. Rajan Bendy is his name. Uh, I and my wife got to go to his house. We had them over to our house for dinner, and we would talk about the gospel and stuff. And every, every week, if not every day, he'd have different rings on his fingers. And I thought it was mainly vanity. You know. I didn't know, why would you wear rings? on every... But each one was an image of a god. And when I got to his house, he had a corner of his sitting room that had about 300 gods, idols, and he regularly took them down and opened up another box and put them up. He was trying to worship every god from his culture. And there's about three million gods in India. He's trying to wear them all, trying to note them all. He would go through and participate. What's he doing? He's missing Jesus. Jesus. Because there is a name that the world does not know about. They know the name, but they don't know him. So it's for Christ's namesake they went out. Acts 4.12 says, neither is there salvation in Confucius. There is no salvation in Buddha, Dora, salvation in Muhammad. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of the name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. They went for Christ's sake. They took nothing of the Gentiles. These missionaries had to eat. You know, missionaries like to eat too. Amen. Amen. I do like to eat. These missionaries had to eat. They had to pay their own bills, but they never charged anyone the gospel. You saw that in 3 John. It says taking nothing from the people they were preaching to, from the Gentiles. They just gave everything they had so that someone else could hear about Jesus. Matthew chapter 10. Go to Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10 in verse 7. Matthew 10, 7. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is right at hand. It's right near you. You can get it. You can get into it. And he tells the disciples, now these were apostles. They had great powers. I wish I had the power. But they had it. They could go, and when they went, they healed the sick. They cleansed the lepers. Think about that. Somebody who was with a disease that was causing parts of their bodies to fall off. They were on the road to death. It was a terminal illness of the day. And here was somebody who could come and could touch them and heal and cleanse the lepers. They could raise the dead. They could cast out devils. And watch these words. Make sure you charge them for your services. Is that what it says? Oh, freely I gave you that power, so freely give it away. That's how the gospel works. We do it for free. Go to Acts 3, Acts chapter 3, verse 6. I know some people believe Peter was the first pope. Well, I got news for you. If he was, he was the poorest pope. (laughs) Acts chapter 3 and verse 6. By the way, he wasn't the first pope. anyway. Acts chapter 3. In verse 6, Peter meets a man sitting at the gate of the temple, and he's asking for a gift, a mercy, mercy gift. Help me, give me just a little bit of money. I like Peter, verse 6, silver, Peter then Peter said, Silver and gold have I what? Wow, what a poor Pope. (laughs) The Pope's got it now. Anyway, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I'll charge you. Come on, doesn't say that. I brought my credit card box here. All right, just give me your credit card now. No. Such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. He lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankles received strength. And he started leaping and dancing and walking and running. Leaping and praising God. Isn't that cool? Silver and gold, have I, I don't have anything, but what I've got, I'll give you. And if I had money, I'd give it to you. Listen to Revelation twenty-two, seventeen. 17. It says, the spirit and the bride, that's the church, say, come. And Let him that hear it say, hey, come on, we can go. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Freely. The thing that is different about the gospel is, it's free. And those that preach, those that do the work of the gospel do it for free. We don't do it for any of our own benefit. I'm not trying to get into heaven by good works, by going door to door like Joel's witnesses do. They're trying to earn their way into the resurrection. They're trying to be good enough. I don't have to be good enough, Jesus was. I just go because of His name. That name changed my life. I want to see it happen in somebody else's life. So the question is, where do they get their money? Well, missionaries get money sometimes by having a side job. Paul says this in Acts twenty. You're there. Go to Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty three. Acts twenty and verse thirty three. I've coveted, Paul says, no man's silver. I didn't need anybody's silver or gold or their, their, their clothes. I didn't, I didn't say, oh, I wish I could wear, wish I could have clothes like him. I wish I had clothes like him. <laughs> yea, verse 34, ye yourselves know that these hands, these hands, my own hands, have ministered unto my own necessities. I took care of my own needs. And I also took care of them that were with me. And I have showed you all things how that so laboring, you ought to support the weak. I'm sick and tired of the Irish government and the European governments thinking socialism is so good, it's going to bankrupt and going to bankrupt every person in this room. You need to work and get your own job and pay your own bills. Amen. I got a few amens out of that. You need to stop sitting there acting like the world owes you Anything. You'll never be used of God until you say, I'm going to work so I can give. He goes on, you you know that these hands have ministered. Verse 35, sorry, I have shown you all things, how that's so laboring you ought to support the weak. That's who takes care of people who can't work, Christians. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Sometimes, go to 2nd Corinthians, sometimes they went and they asked churches to financially support their going. 2nd Corinthians chapter 11. 2nd <clears throat> Corinthians 11 verse 8. I robbed other churches, not that he came in with a mask, of aliclava and a gun, and said, Give me all your money. No. He's just saying, I took what should have been theirs and they gave it to me for you, Corinthians. He says, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them so I could do you service. He said, I never, I never asked a penny from you, Corinthians, because I just wanted you to get saved. He did all that so that others, wonderful word, others could hear and have a chance to be saved from the wrath to come. By the way, did you know when you give the gospel out and you you maybe you give somebody a Bible and maybe you bought that Bible and you gave it to them and I've done that, I've had New Testaments. The, we don't have uh, any here um, or maybe we do, I don't know, I haven't seen them. We've got these soul winner New Testaments. They cost 21 euros a piece, amen. And so I bought one, I use it, I mark it up and then I meet somebody and boy, they say, I wish I had a Bible. I give it to them. I have to go buy another one. It's all marked up with the gospel in there. You know what I know? They may not ever read it. They may never appreciate it. But I give it anyway. Because that's what Christians do. We're not going, now look, if you don't read, it, I'm coming back for it, you know. <laughs> you know, satisfaction guaranteed anyway. There's no guarantee that people are going to want to hear you, much less that they'll believe anything you say, and yet we still go because Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, then it goes on and it says, How shall they call on him of whom they not believe? You can't call on somebody you don't believe in. And how shall they believe in him of whom they not even heard? And how shall they hear without a gospel preacher, a soul winner? And how shall they preach except they be sent? That's what we're supposed to be doing. So, Let's talk about this thing called kingdom giving, first of all. Jesus taught a lot about money, and I can't go through it with you this morning. We'll go with it another day. But kingdom giving, Jesus taught a lot about money and about giving. One of them he called it giving alms. Remember, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you're giving, alms giving means mercy giving. You see somebody, and they need somebody to care about them when they don't even know what they need. That's mercy. Jesus talked about giving. He also talked about lay up treasure where? Amen. He's talking about investing. Everybody wants to, well, you know, get your retirement plan. Forget the retirement plan. Live for Jesus Christ. The rapture's not that far away, folks. Invest in eternity. He talked about investing in souls, laying up treasures in heaven by winning a soul, by giving the gospel, by by becoming poor that someone else may be rich spiritually. Amen. Did I just lose most of you? I'm talking about your money. That's why you're switching off. (laughs) Amen. You're like, Pastor, you're not supposed to preach about money. Show me I'm not supposed to. Investing. He commanded us not to worry about having any money. Woo! Wow. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You say, Well, I got to work. Yes, you got to work but you got to work to give and if you end up with less after you've given than you expected, so be it. Because you're a giver, not a taker anymore. He said, stop trying to add everything up and figure everything out before you give away your money. You'll never give away your money. Best kind of people in this room would be the ones who just love to give. Give of their time, give of their talent, give of their money, give of their, 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 their lives. And it begins with your wallet. Amen. Then he also talks about make sure you give to people who will never pay you back. Amen. We're sending money to missionaries who are never going to ever do anything back for us. And we're sending it to print Bibles to people who are never going to know where those Bibles came from, where the gospel tracts came from. Jesus said, give to people who will never pay you back. Why? Because getting into the kingdom of God is of infinite value. But Here's a big point. Kingdom giving is costly. Do you know missionaries don't just magically appear out of nowhere? (laughs) Ah, missionary. No, it doesn't happen that way. Where do they come from? They come from Bible-believing churches. They come from the midst of people who love souls and love the gospel. And they, however hard or easy it may be, they leave everything they love because they sense the need for someone far away to hear not about church... Not about religious duties and prayers, but to hear about Jesus Christ and salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Now, money for those missionaries doesn't just appear magically either. Money for missionaries doesn't come from Europe or England or America. It doesn't come from government grants. It comes from the free will giving of God's people. That means from us, from our pockets. You know, secretly, most people in this room believe in a selfish, give-me-gospel that is only supposed to make them happy and well-off. Well, if you get saved, you'll be happy. Not always. You'll have joy, but those joy that joy may have tears galore. So your happiness isn't God's concern. So you can't tell somebody, well, if you get saved, your problems will all be behind you. No, your sin will be behind you. The wrath of God will be gone. But you may have some problems now, especially... If mama ain't saved and doesn't want to get saved, and you're trying to live for God, and she says, stop. <laughs> when I say mama, I mean your wife. <clears throat> Instead, the Bible offers selfless lose-me gospels, or the, the, uh, gi- the, the lose-me gospel that gets other people saved and blessed at our expense. 2 Corinthians 8 9, don't go there, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So he did everything to finance our salvation so that it was free to us. You know, when we give the gospel to somebody in Portugal, we do it through a missionary who does it for free. We might become poor to make sure Brother Pereira stays on the field and stays preaching the gospel so the churches get started and people get saved. Listen to a letter. I was reminded of this letter at camp. Men's camp was fantastic, guys. I was reminded one of the men actually read this letter out. I'm gonna read it to you about the cost of being a missionary. This is a letter that a young man, my favorite missionary of all time, is a guy named Adoniram Judson. He wrote to his future father-in-law. Now, how would you ask for the hand of marriage of your future wife? How would you ask him? Would you write and say, She's the most wonderful woman. You have done so great raising her. I tell you what, I will love her, cherish. Listen to what this guy writes his future father-in-law asking for Anne's hand in marriage. He's just about ready to leave, to, to go to India and end up in Burma, where she will die. Now, he doesn't know that at this point, but listen to how he asks for her hand in marriage. Dear sir, his name was Mr. Hasseltine. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India. To every kind of want and distress? To degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death? I'm asking, can you consent to all this for the sake of Him who left His heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this, sir, in hope of soon meeting your daughter, not here, but in the world of glory? with a crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamation of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair." Wow. See, he knew what he was getting into. He was asking the father-in-law, do you realize what your daughter is going to get into? And she does die. Two of her kids she has to bury because of disease. And yet they went ahead. There is Burma is one of the biggest countries, the third largest population of Bible-believing Christians, Baptists, because of a Baptist named Adonai Judson. They still have a, a national holiday in Burma called Judson Day. Because a man went and suffered, and he was, in, he was in a hole in the ground for years because he was accused of being a spy. Um, uh, he worked... Tirelessly translating the Bible, which is still the de facto standard Bible in Burma, which is now Myanmar. You know, people who go into the mission work ought to know what's going to cost them, but we gladly give it. So the news is, it's going to cost you and me. Second Corinthians eleven nine says, "When I was present with you Corinthians, and I wanted or I lacked something, I was chargeable to no man." For that was lacking to me the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I've kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. He says, I'm not asking for money now. I am always going to keep myself from being a burden to you. 1 Thessalonians 2.9 says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. That's the general Tone the general attitude about getting the gospel out is it's free. It used to be Protestant Germans back in the 1500s who left everyone and everything to take the gospel, and I was never more shocked when I got. I got. I I like maps, okay, and um, I'm from Texas, so Canada is not very important to me. But one day, I was noticing along the northern section of Canada, up in near near Pluto. The the part where it is just Inuit Indians, all right, the Eskimos up there are called the Inuit Eskimos. And those Eskimos have one of the most complex languages. And up at the top there, there were all of these what are called something mission, something mission, 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 Moravian mission, Moravian mission, mission. All along that thing up in the Arctic Circle when, when it got night, it stayed night for three months at a time. And they sacrificially went and preached the gospel and started churches where I would never dream of going. I'm a Texan, I don't go to Northern Canada. And yet these guys sacrificed everything to go and reach people I could never dream of. And the English in the 1600s and 1700s sent out thousands and thousands of gospel preaching missionaries all over the world. Over 2,000 languages got the Bible translated because of people who left England and gave the Bible in the local languages. Remember a guy named Dr. Livingston? Blazing a trail through Africa, never been traveled through by some white guy. Here he was. You know who was behind him as he blazed a trail? Missionaries. He said, I have seen the fires of 1,000 campfires out along the horizon where no one's ever heard the gospel. And people came as he went from place to place. Somebody would come along. And after he would go in and he would minister to people and deal with uh, medicinal needs and stuff, then he would introduce them to a, a gospel preacher and start giving the gospel to those tribes people. And the churches would be started all throughout Southern Africa. And the trail that he led, phenomenal. And then the Americans got involved. 1800s and 1900s, going throughout the world. You know what I believe? I don't believe we're finished. I believe it's time for the Irish. I believe it's time for the Nigerians. I believe it's time for the Congolese. I believe it's time for the Germans again, and the French, and the Italians, and the Kenyans, to go ourselves and to give so that men all over the world can know that name, which is above every name. Amen. We've got kingdom. Oh, I forgot to bring up, that's Adam Judson, that's his wife who died on the mission field, Ann Judson. If you ever want to read, his biography will tear you to bits, her biography will blow your mind, because she writes what he, he doesn't brag on what he does, she brags on what he does, and you just get an incredible view of the life of being a missionary 150 years ago, just 150 years, not kingdom owning, third point. Instead of owning much in this world, what matters is that we own our responsibilities to the loss. In other words, it's not up to someone else to give and to go with the gospel, it's up to us. It's up to those who've been saved and already in the kingdom of God. I don't have to worry about going to heaven now, do you? I mean, look, to be absent from the body, I don't hope to be present with the Lord, as the Bible says. To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. I have the gift of God, which is eternal life, right now. So me, I don't worry about. Others, we do. And that's our responsibility. It starts with each of us getting to know about families who are going into all the world with the gospel. Whether you know them, whether they're Irish, or whether they're from Honduras, whether they're from Portugal. I don't care if they're brethren or they're strangers. Oh, that was a joke. It doesn't matter if they're going and if they're doing it right and if they're doing it by the Bible, let's help them. Amen? That's what kingdom owning is. Because each of us need to help them with the gospel wherever they're going. You and I need to send them and keep them there. How shall they hear except they be... um, Sent, and how shall they preach except they be sent, sorry. So it is the responsibility of a church and no one else. There's no non-government organization out there that is raising money to send mission. No, it's church is supposed to. Some wealthy philanthropists aren't supposed to be doing this. It's great when somebody wants to give money for for doing things, but it's the church's job. We must own this. Hmm. My wife has taught me a new phrase. Okay, she's not in here, so I could talk about it. We get into a little tiff. You know what a tiff is, don't you? It's an argument. But anyway, we get into a tiff, and she'll point out, that's not right. You did this wrong. And and you know what she says? Own it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, listen, God looks at us and says, this is our responsibility. Own it. It belongs to us. It doesn't belong that any other organization is supposed to be giving and going so that the gospel is preached. We're supposed to do it. Acts 15. Go back to Acts 15, verse 1. Acts 15, and verse 1. Watch these, this way of writing here. Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea, they taught the brethren and said, except you be, oh, they're preaching a false gospel. They said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Was that true or false? That was false. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that means argument, (laughs) and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And watch these words and being brought on their way by the what? Say it louder. Church. So if I bring somebody, if I went over here and I said, I'm going to bring Dean over to Bill, that implies that I'm going to actually pick him up and carry him, all right? I'm going to be brought on his way. But he's not talking about carrying. He's talking about, they're talk, It's actually talking about they made sure they had enough money to get there. They made sure that they could afford the boat trip because that's how they all went, or they walked. They made sure that they could afford being able to stay in inns along the way. They made sure they had money for food. They, they made sure that they were brought all the way down to Jerusalem. Show you another one. Go down to uh, go to Romans 15. Romans 15. And Dean, I would never try to pick you up anymore. You're too heavy. <clears throat> Romans 15:24. Paul uses that same phrase again. Romans 15, 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain. And unfortunately, he wasn't going for a holiday like I wish I could. He says, When I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you there in Rome, for I trust to see you in my journey. Here's a journey. He's on a missionary journey. And to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company. He says, I'm coming, we're gonna have fellowship, we're gonna have time together, it's gonna to have great company, but I need you to help me get to Spain. I need you to help bring me there. I'll show you another one. Go to Second Corinthians one, second Corinthians chapter one, verse sixteen. You see, it's okay for a Christian to ask another Christian to help them serve God. That's why I'm here. There ought to be people in this room who come up to me regularly and say, Pastor, what can I do to serve God? I'll help you. Amen. And if it's a ministry we can do as a church, I'll help find I'll raise the money to help so that we as a church can help everyone do something for God. We have eight missionaries that have come through here and said they're going to Blanchardstown or they're going to Tala or they're going to Honduras or they're going to Portugal or they're going to the Marshall Islands down in the middle of the Pacific. And we all decide, let's bring them there. Let's keep them there. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 16. His desire was to pass by you Corinthians into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you. And of you, I need you, to be brought on my way towards Judea. He says, of you I need help getting down to Judea. That's okay. That's all right. I'll just read here in Titus 3.13. Bring Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. Paul told Titus to make sure that the churches took care of Zenos, the lawyer, I guess he was going to be expensive, He's a Christian, so don't worry. And Apollos on their journey, that nothing be wanting. and he says, Make sure you take care of them. We read third John one again, it says, Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Make sure you're constantly keeping them going forward. Go to Second Corinthians chapter nine, and we'll start to wrap this up. So what to do? Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse seven. I want to ask everyone in this room who are a Bible-leaving Christian to do something wonderful. If you're just a visitor, I'm not asking anything of you. But if you believe this is a church that preaches the Bible and loves God and loves souls, then let me ask you, look at this. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, because I put on a guilt trip to you, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And watch this. When you become a giver, God is able to make all grace abound back towards you, so that ye always having all sufficiency. Wait, I just give my money away. And yet verse, nine, verse 8 says, But you will still have all sufficiency in all things and that you may abound to every good work. You know, you may have no money, and you go, I just don't have your money. You actually have a ton of money. We live in a first world country. You've got some money. Let me tell you, you start just being a giver, and you just start worrying about souls. You don't worry about cars. You don't worry about retirement. You You worry about giving. God seems to, and it always happens, God seems to always be enough. It just is that way, folks. So what do I ask you to do? Number one, choose to give to missions. Start today. There's a little envelope here, and there's a little spot here where you can mark on there your tithe amount. Right underneath it is your missions given. It could be one euro. It could be ten. I don't care what it is. How many of us should give? Yes, sir. Give Give me the name, the word there in the verse. Every man. All right. But then it says, as he purposes in his heart, as he chooses to do so. That's up to you. You don't have to. But I would like you to know the blessing of giving. Giving specifically to missionaries first that we already support. You realize we take all the money that comes into the uh, the offering box there and there's some that's given to missions. There's some that give specifically to missions but not much and whatever else we want so much to help missionaries be on the mission field, we take whatever is needed because we give everybody 75 euros a month. We take whatever's needed and we take out of the tithe and give to them. And that's okay. But that's also somebody else doing it. Let's do it so that we do it. Let's give so that all of us can say, I've purposed in my heart to not tithe. I already did that. I already do that because God commands it. But now I give out of love for souls because I get to. I I don't choose to tithe because I do it because it's right. But I do choose to give because I'm loved and I love. So choose to give to missions. You just mark on there. Say, all right, my tithe is 26 euros because I got 260 euros this week. And then there's another fiver on top for missions. That's how it works. Love to give to missions. I Like it says, not grudgingly. It's a very modern word, isn't it? It's a very teenage word, isn't it? grudgingly. You're, you're gonna, what you're doing is, you're taking money that you meant for yourself. God bless you. I was gonna, I was gonna get a Hulu account. I was, I was, I, I, I need four cups of coffee a day it's at, at Starbucks. I'm saving up for, I don't care what. You're gonna grudgingly give, then don't give. But look at yourself going, Why am I a grudge? Why am I a a jerk? Why am I grumpy when I get to give? And I'm going to tell you this. I would rather and God would rather have just 10 people who love to give to missionaries than a bunch of people with a bad attitude griping and complaining about their money. Amen? Amen. So if you're going to gripe and complain about it, ignore me. Because God will ignore you. Amen. Amen. Love to give. Some of us love it believe to give. You're going to have to go, but I was wanting this money for something else. Don't say that because it's by faith that you say, you know what, I'm only talking about a tenor. I'm only talking about something that is for souls that are priceless. Somebody took time to give me the gospel. Somebody took time to preach and start a church and to to organize that church and to get them pay the bills there so I could go walk in. I remember the day I walked into church and, and I listened to the gospel. For the first time in my life, there there were these people who loved God. At 17 years old, I'm looking around, and I'm seeing this building, and I'm seeing these people. Somebody paid for all that to be there over the years, so I could just walk in, and it was free. Amen. Believe that it can be done all over the world. And lastly, make sure you continue to give. Don't just get a little moved today and then go back to being cold and stingy tomorrow. The missionary families are out of their country and cannot get jobs and make money on the side like you and I can. So if you start giving today, I'm going to ask you to keep giving next week, and the next week, and the next week, continue to give. So, kingdom of God is a, is a completely different way to live, think, love, and give. Thank God there's some people who are involved in kingdom going. They've hazarded their lives, they go for Christ's name's sake, they take nothing from the people they preach to, they just want others to hear and have a chance to be saved. They're called missionaries. If some of us won't go yet, those of us who haven't gone must help those who are going to go and stay preaching the gospel by kingdom giving. Don't think that only rich people should do all the giving. If you want a blessing, you give to. You say, I'm only nine years old. Rob, your dad. <laughs> dad, I need a fiver now. Fiver. Yeah. Get involved in kingdom giving, but make sure let's own this. Let's own this. So, what are you going to do? We choose to give to missions starting today. Don't put it off. You say, I've only got four euros. Put it in. Start the process, man. I already, man, I'm a missionary. I already tithe. I already give uh, uh, to, to missions. I and my wife and my family support four missionaries personally, besides the missions that we support here and elsewhere. I love giving, and I love missionaries, and I want to help them. Love to give to missions. You know what? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You say, I don't love missions. Give them some money, and you'll love them. You say, what are you doing with my money? You'll pray for them. You'll care about them. You'll find out their needs, and you'll make sure that they're taken care of. And start believing. Just It's by faith. You're not doing it because you have the money. It's doing it because you want to give, and you're not giving all your money away. But believe me, believe me, you'll end up with less money on purpose, but you'll be happier than you've ever been before. Make sure you do it. If you're not interested in the lost hearing the gospel, I have to say this. If you don't care about one thing I've said this morning, yes, you could be cold-hearted, backslid, I know that, But i also be more fearful that maybe the gospel hasn't reached your heart yet because the gospel softens hearts, warms our hearts, makes us into givers. The gospel changes. And if you're not interested in giving, and you're not interested in the gospel getting all over the world, then I have to ask you, has it gotten to you yet? Let's stand. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's our missions month, Father. I think we could do it all again and not touch the hem of the garment of what needs to work in our hearts. The devil will make sure we have every debt and every bit of of problem to focus us on instead of the lost. Our culture will be so against the gospel. To the point where Christians are ashamed of it, it just bothers me. And even our own habits are fueled by selfishness. We have everything against us, and yet you cry out in the kingdom of God, give. Give to meet needs of people on the street. Give to meet needs of people in, in bad situations, but make sure you give to get people into the kingdom. It's no good. Father, if we're only taking care of outside problems, we've got to take care of souls too. We've got to reach them with the gospel. We've got to be about the real business. And I'm so glad we get to support eight missionaries. It would be awesome if we could double that. But we can dream about it only until your people own this opportunity so that more can go. And one day from our own midst, someone could go. Because I know there are people in this room who love you and love souls. and One of these days, maybe you'll say, okay, let's go. And when they go, they might lose everything, but thank God they go. And I just want to help them go. Somebody help me get here. I want to help somebody else go somewhere else. Bring them on their way. Keep them going. Never let them ever think they're alone. So God, I pray that there especially would be somebody's ears hearing, saying, Jesus is your only hope. Just like he's the hope of the whole world, he's your hope. And if you're not born again, you can cry out to him right now. If you've got any questions, I can be here forever answering them. Please come talk to me. With every head every eye closed, would you make a commitment that you are going to purpose to give to missions? This is not something for a few fanatics. This is for the church. If we would just purpose to do it, I'm not going to tell you you have to do it against your grudge. Boy, I'm telling you, you ought to do it out of love. God loves a cheerful giver. Would you like that? Would you enjoy that? Father, I just commend this message and these people to you. May what needs to be decided may it be decided today. In Jesus' name, amen.